I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, it's good to be back with you, Ken. In several previous podcasts, you've explained just how important it is to become a good negotiator. So I just thought today you may like to explore that a little further. Well, Ken, over the past hundred odd episodes, we've every now and then touched on negotiating because, as you rightly say, it is such an important part. Now, while it is one step of the nine-step formula, it's so crucial. It's not that it dominates any other part. If you don't do the earlier steps, you're never going to be prepared well enough to handle the negotiation. But once you reach the point where you're trying to put the deal together, you need to master the skills available. And the interesting thing is that some people read books and attend workshops and do all the background stuff and research in order to be a good negotiator, but you have to get down in the trenches to see how things work. And invariably, they don't always pan out exactly how you would expect. And I say to people, the, the tools and the techniques will vary over time. It's the underlying strategy that will endure. And so therefore, it's getting a a better understanding of that. And the interesting thing is that even now, it doesn't matter how much you learn, there are going to be certain negotiations which will go off the rails. Now, if you're a skilled negotiator, you can bring them back on track. But For those that haven't done a lot of negotiating, there are a number of reasons why a negotiation could fail. And perhaps as the best safeguard you can have is to understand those and therefore anticipate them or recognise them as they emerge so that you can actually either step around them or cut them off at the past so that they never become an issue as far as you're concerned. So what might some of those reasons be? Well, probably one of the most common mistakes people make is adopting what I call the fixed pie thinking. In other words, they assume that one party has to win and the other party has to lose. Now, I think I've discussed it in earlier podcasts, but the reason in framing the initial purchase proposals when I'm acting for a client to purchase that I have three or four or ideally five variables. I mean, price is just one of them. You have the settlement terms, the amount of deposit you pay initially, the due diligence period, You know, there are a whole lot of areas that are legitimately available for negotiation. Now, what most people think is that there's only a limited amount of room out there to negotiate and you need to grab as much of that pie as possible to justify your position. 
But unfortunately, most people focus on price and it ends up being a win-lose situation. But that's the reason negotiations often fail because each party assumes there's only a a fixed amount out there to be divided up in order for, you know, someone to walk away as a winner. Now, you have to start to, as I said, have variables so that you might get the price you want, but it may be that the vendor wants a short settlement period, which you can accommodate, or they want a very long settlement period. So it's a matter of feeling out with the other side what's important to them. Yes, they might be able to offer a due diligence period, but they don't want 21 business days. They ideally would like seven, but they'll live with 10. So you've got to find ways, creative ways sometimes, to introduce elements into the negotiation so that you appear to be giving a lot away, but in actual fact, it's something you didn't really care about. But it's an easy trade to get the vendor to capitulate in an area that is important to you. I mean, it may be that you need the log settlement because you've got other settlements occurring or you might be tied up under a a lease and you're buying a property that you want to occupy so therefore you don't want to settle before the lease expires. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why. So, you know, it comes down to, yes, having your set of priorities but also finding out what the other party has as theirs and and realising that, you know, you can introduce ideas, you come up with options, alternatives to enable both parties to get what they're looking for and so that both of you walk away feeling good about the deal. Now, you might not have got exactly what you set out to, but you end up with something that works for both parties. I suspect preparing well is also a rather important aspect. Yes, your prep work is vital. And it's a common problem. People just don't prepare well for a negotiation. They they think they can just arrive and wing it. And it's preparation in the information you need. It's about the property. It's about the person you're negotiating against, which may be the agent, the selling agent. You get get all your facts and figures organised. Get your finance organised. I mean, this is something that, and it doesn't have to be a commitment, but you've already had a, a discussion with your finance broker and you know broadly what your parameters are as far as how far you can go based on your ability to meet the repayments. And so the problem is that if you're not fully prepared, both in the knowledge that you need and also knowledge about the other party, then you'll find you'll end up making demands and ultimatums And that leaves you no room to negotiate. Definitely you box yourself into a corner and you'll end up losing all the negotiation or fall apart. What other things can cause you a a problem? Well, being too gritty up front is another error that the amateurs can make. I mean, some people think if you start with an unrealistic position, you'll then at least create a a wide band where you can settle somewhere in the middle. The problem is that most vendors, they're not deals. I mean, they they mightn't be 
major property investors, but they have bought and owned the property for a while. So, you know, they're in the game and they're likely to adopt a, a hard line. And, you know, the obverse is if the vendor starts to adopt a hard line, you simply ask them, how do you justify that position? And it, whether it's the agent or the vendor, it doesn't really matter. Now, in explaining how they arrived at the figure or the settlement or whatever it was that they're asking, which is clearly outrageous, more often than not, they end up realising how ridiculous it sounds and without you having to do much more, they will come back and say, well, look, you know, maybe I could consider moving on that a bit. How will you do or what will you do at your end to see if we can bridge the gap? So, you know, instead of digging your heels in, just throw the ball back in their court and ask them to justify what it is that they're, they're seeking to achieve. On the other hand, you know, I talk about being too greedy. You don't want to pitch your offer too low or, you know, too close to what you think the other party will settle for because you don't want to give away the farm. I mean, it's too early in the negotiation and the problem is that you don't then leave yourself room to trade concessions with the vendor because you're effectively at a price they'll accept. You're getting close to the limits you're prepared to pay, so you just don't leave yourself enough room. So there's in, this, in that answer there's there's two extremes asking too much and and just pitching it too close to uh, you know the ultimate price so i guess it all comes down to just understanding the what is a realistic gap of ne- or span range for negotiation as a negotiator do you need to adopt a, a certain mindset yeah look as a negotiator you need to have a, a flexible approach and you need to be able to think on your feet. I mean, yes, you can sit down and work your strategy out for hours beforehand, and that prep work is important, but it's the tactics on the spur of the moment that will often make the deal. And you've got to be careful that you don't become so locked into winning that you actually find it impossible to negotiate. Sometimes you've just got to st- slow down, take a deep breath and just to uh, evaluate the costs and benefits of maintaining the present position that you've, you're heading down, the line of argument that you, you're adopting because you may end up boxing yourself into a corner. And sometimes you might simply just ask to, uh, do you mind if I just have a break and go to the loo? Because you just need time to think and just even if it's only a five-minute break you can then justify coming back and slightly modifying your position and also the other side it doesn't feel awkward about it because there's been that subtle break in the negotiations themselves making an adjustment to their position so you've got to remember it's it's not a context and you've got to try and explore some creative approaches to make the deal better for both parties. And while it, not only is it not a contest, as I think we've said before, negotiation is not an event. You don't have to resolve things there and then. A negotiation is, is a process. Sometimes it takes 
two or three sessions to resolve it. In fact, if you resolve it too quickly, the deal probably won't stick because one or other of the parties feels that they have conceded too much. How daring should you be? Well, look, if you're too meek and mild, you're going to end up giving away more than what you receive and you'll end up on the losing end of the deal. Well, not necessarily losing, but you won't get, get as good a deal as you perhaps could have. Yes, you need to be adventurous. And I think there's been studies done that show that the people who are or have a very high risk profile will generally do better at a negotiation. Now, you've got to understand that you're going to be around for a while. Ideally, this is not going to be the only property you deal with and this is not going to be the only time that you will be talking with the selling agent. It may not be the same vendor, but, you know, the investment community is is not that large. And, yes, you might be able to use your bluff and bravado and screw someone to a, a very good deal, but the problem is you get away with it once, you might get away with it twice, but that's it. The word gets around, just just watch this character. So you can't afford to do that. So you don't need to adopt a double or nothing attitude. I mean, simply learn to push the envelope and test the other party's limits, but not to the point of trying to screw the best deal you can and you know wiping the table with the other party because that's that's not going to work. You might feel you got a deal and yes they might end up signing the contract but then you know invariably what'll happen is there'll be some little glitch or during a, a particular settlement period some problem arises and you need to go back to the vendor to ask a favor and there's no way they're going to be able to or wanting to accommodate you. I mean, I've had deals where we've actually negotiated something and I realise, and everyone's felt comfortable with the deal, and then I realised later that there's been something left out that we all meant to agree to, but it was never documented. And I've gone back to the agent and said, listen, you remember that's, that was left out? He said, don't worry, I'll fix it up with the vendor and we'll add it back into the contract. And I've never had, over 40 years, I've never had a, an issue with, with those sort of problems because everybody has left the table feeling good about the deal. It's got to be a win-win situation. And so that's the only thing I would suggest to you. Yeah, you, you've got to be prepared to push the envelope, but, but not to the point where the other party realises they've been screwed. Anything else? What you'll find is with every purchase you make, it doesn't matter whether it's a house, a car, a commercial property, whatever it is, particularly if it's a significant purchase, you can often have a slight feeling afterwards about whether you've done the right thing. And, you know, that's what is commonly called buyer's remorse. You can overcome this by doing your prep work thoroughly, and that's why that is so important in any negotiation. Now, I think I've given you in the past uh, 
a number of questions to follow on a prep sheet to make sure that you've got all these these covered. I mean, you need to know what your market value is and how far you can go and, you know, simply gather as much information as you can about both the property and the other party's position. Now, if you do all that, then once you've reached agreement, you will know for sure that you have done a good deal and then you will never have buyer's remorse because you've made your decision based on hard fact and there's been no emotion in it. So therefore you won't suffer because in your head you know that the deal is a good deal. Every time we discuss negotiating, I'm sure our listeners enjoy the way you seem to delve a little more deeply into what's involved. Well, it may only be just one step within my nine-step investment formula, but as you said at the outset, it's such a crucial skill to have as a property investor. Mm, With that in mind, I think it will probably be worthwhile, including the link to your negotiating masterclass below this podcast once again.